0: Welcome to Useful Idiots. I'm Matt Taibbi.
1: I'm Katie Halper.
0: And what? where are we in time right now?
1: Uh, we are now pre-debate, depending on when you hear this. Right. We will definitely this will be actually post-debate. be after. Yeah. By yeah. the time you see this, it'll mean... If it'll you're be- watching this, it'll mean that I've been...
0: Right. Well, that we didn't die during the drinking yeah, game—that's yeah. So probably or usually
1: good. it's the opposite. But in this case, it's that. Yeah. Right.
0: So we're gonna we're gonna have the second part of our interview with Chris, Chris Edges yeah. on in, in a little bit, and we thought we'd do just a little bonus episode uh, beforehand.
1: Well, Matt, you have a big story.
0: Yeah, I did did a, uh, did a the latest uh, campaign trail feature. So the next in line was was Joe Biden. Went out and saw Joe on the on the campaign trail and did kind of a write up of. Um, where he's at which is kind of an interesting story because Joe Biden's an interesting figure because he's had a lot of disasters in his political career but yet he keeps kind of being projected upward because of them Um, and this impeachment thing is kind of breaking in an interesting way for him because it could either ruin him but it could also um, it's forcing the whole democratic party to throw themselves behind him too right because if, if
1: not you're letting the russians win
0: yeah or or make trump being right or something like yeah. that right so he he had a really bad third quarter in terms of um, fundraising he was Biden right yeah, yeah he he was he went way down from like 24 million to like 15 uh and He's behind even Budajic and uh, Bernie was at the top actually, and Warren was just behind him. But they're now th- considering putting a uh, a pack together to um, to create a, like a defense fund for Biden. What? Yeah. Who's doing this? So this was in the news as I was, as I was putting this to bed. There, there's a uh, a group of high profile Democratic donors who are now. Weighing whether or not that's the smart thing to do. So, uh, and the the reason they would have to do it is because they they're trying to figure out um, how to best how best to counter some of the information that's coming out about his son. And the stuff about his son is I don't know how do you feel about it.
1: I think we said this a couple episodes ago, but it's not it's not great. Right. And um, I think it's kind of a sign of how much Trump. It's like any you know there's anybody but Trump. Right. This is like anything but Trump right so anything that happens that isn't trump level right or trump related i guess kind of gets a pass
0: yeah they've got it have they've got hunter on with um interviews today and the the day of the debates and they're basically asking him should you have did you ever maybe have second thoughts that you know getting on the board of a of a you know ukrainian gas company without actually having any expertise a good idea and he, he, he sort of says, well, you know, in hindsight, you know, maybe yes, you right. know. So um, but the, the, the other interesting thing and, in, in, you know, I, I asked the Biden campaign about this is that um, one of the, the talking points about all this is that Joe Biden, when he asked the Ukrainians to fire um, Viktor Shokin, right, the, who the, the prosecutor, prosecutor, that there were no active investigations of Burisma at right. the time. And in, in the last week, there were a couple of, well, there's an old story that, that was actually published in Russia and Ukraine in 2016 that, that suggested that Burisma's CEO, CEO was actually, had his property seized after that moment. So that kind of runs counter to that. And then there was a a story that Nova Gazeta, which is a the, like the Russian opposition newspaper, they just did a big expose last week that was ignored here in the states. That it, I, I know the reporter who wrote it. This woman Yulia Latinina uh... <laughs> latinx Just kidding. Yeah. yeah. Uh, <laughs> And she uh, basically what she says is that there was an open there was an open case in Ukraine involving uh, this guy Sergei Korchenko, who was like stealing money from Ukrainian businesses and funneling it to, among other things, Rosemont Seneca, uh, Biden's uh, son's company through Burisma. So that story just came out, and they didn't they didn't exactly deny it. They didn't comment on the record about it, but that story's out there, and it's gonna come out. So this this all all this stuff about Hunter Biden, it's i don't know it's hard to say i think it's gonna be it could break both ways
1: somehow i missed what he looked like and i was impressed by his plugs he seems (laughs) to have his father's plugs yeah which is like a good way to to look like i like that it's kind of smart it's like if he has these weird hair this weird follicle situation going on and his dad has it too maybe they're not transplants maybe they just have that
0: you like they naturally grow? Plugs? Well, I think
1: that's what the narr- thats what they're trying to suggest. Like maybe they go to the same plugs place, so, so that be they can like, have, they have coher- like a generational coherence,
0: like a familial continuity. Yeah, exactly. Aerodic- aerodic? Right. Yeah. 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 I see.
1: Like there's inter intergenerational trauma. That's the thing. So you can mm-hmm. have intergenerational hair plugs. Right. Um, I yeah. went to school with a girl who had like definitely had the same nose job as her mom did, so uh-huh. that's another good way to hide it in.
0: <laughs> yeah, but um, s- synchronize the nose. Yeah, job exactly. As well. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, he, he uh, he's a mess. Hunter Biden. You can get a perfectly good job just being the son of the vice president, you don't have to do anything. Like people, right. will, people will hire you at a private equity company and you'll, they'll right. just put you in an office and you'll make really good money.
1: I'm a human and you know what? Did I make a mistake? Well, maybe in the, in, in the grand scheme of things, yeah. But did I make a mistake based upon some un- ethical lapse? Absolutely not.
2: Why did you leave the board
0: in April?
1: It's
2: a five-year uh, term.
0: And you chose yeah, I did, not to I chose continue, not to.
1: Yeah. why? I think it's pretty obvious why.
0: This is your opportunity to say why.
1: Well, because this is what
2: becomes a distraction, because I have to sit here and answer these questions. And so that's why I've committed that I won't serve on any boards or I won't work um, uh, directly for any foreign entities when my dad becomes president.
0: Like why go out of your, like he's on the board of these foreign companies, He, he he had a seat on Amtrak, A long time ago, and and Tom Carper, the senator from Delaware, actually wrote him a letter on his behalf, recommending him. And basically, his expertise was that Hunter Biden rides rides the trains a lot,
1: like his dad. Another thing, like his dad, isn't 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 Biden like Mister Amtrak? Hey
0: guys, back on Amtrak. I guess so, but I mean, I don't know if he ever asked for a a a paid job on Amtrak because he rides the trains a lot. and, you know, he had that job as a consultant with MBNA, the credit card company, too. And then, you know, the other thing about Biden is, is, is like, I, I don't like to use the word gaffs because they're not, that's not an accurate term for what they are, but I mean, it's gotten out of hand. Did you see the, the, the thing about the bathhouses?
1: Oh, that was great.
0: Right? Yeah. Come that was on, really man. Great.
1: Yeah.
0: Remember Anderson back 15, 20 years ago? We talked about this in in, in San Francisco. Is all about well, you know, gay, gay, gay bathhouses and every. It's all about round the clock sex. It's all. Come on, man. <laughs> gay couples are more likely to stay together longer than heterosexual couples. He's still up in the polls. He's still like, despite all these stories about Elizabeth Warren overtaking him, he still got the lead. And can you imagine what it's going to look like if?
1: no and there was the bathhouse response and then there was warren's response about like if someone doesn't believe in same-sex marriage and they believe in faith or something how are you going to respond to that did you see that
0: the supporter approaches you and says senator i am old-fashioned and my faith teaches me that marriage is between one man and one woman what is your response
1: well i'm going to assume it's a guy who said that <laughs>
0: I'm going to say, then just marry one woman. <laughs> I'm cool with
1: that. <laughs> Assuming you can find one.
0: But she planned it, right?
1: Well, the guy who asked the question is from human rights campaign and like a max out donor to her Uh campaign, uh um, which wasn't revealed, which is, you know, it's just interesting. I wonder what planted questions there will be tonight.
0: Oh, well, yeah, they all have. We
1: should have added that to our drinking game.
0: Well, I think there is a rule for scripted witticisms. There usually is.
1: But I mean, someone in the audience who has a relationship with the candidate that's not... Right. Like Bernie's would be that guy in the. You saw that Bernie video where he's just walking down <laughs> around Wall Street and some UPS guy just like passes by and gives him a smack on the shoulder. Oh,
0: because he's a friend of the working man?
1: It, it's not fake. He's oh, it's literally right. just he's just like walking through. It's like one of the best images ever.
0: Excellent. Um, so Excellent. they
1: could have. Yeah, that would be a good guy to ask him a question. Wow. Can we talk about your piece about the coup stuff or is that um, sure, off yeah, limits a little because bit. it's not?
0: yeah. yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm like sort of in internet hiding right now because that kind of blew up in a way I wasn't anticipating so all right well let's
1: just own it you yeah know? I guess, like okay yeah. you're already people are already trying to cancel you and they've yeah. failed yeah. so you might as well celebrate
0: yeah I guess so okay so, guess
1: so Matt you wrote this piece um in addition to your Joe Biden piece you have a piece that uh you released elsewhere yeah
0: in Substack <laughs> yep
1: Mm -hmm. called, We're in a Permanent Coup, Americans Might Soon Wish They Just Waited to Vote Their Way Out of the Trump Era. Mm -hmm. Um, This got you almost in more trouble, if possible, than your last piece where you talked about whistleblowers. So tell us about this piece and uh, what you were saying and why people lost their minds, even more than usual from your writing.
0: Like, if you look at the whole timeline of the impeachment thing and it was sort of a continue continuation of Russia Gate, and this has been going on a long time and you have to think about it in the context of like what's happened since, since before even Trump's presidency began like I, I can't stand Donald Trump I covered him he's completely ridiculous you like, I, of the on like that, I don't on. like Hillary Clinton and I like I went into the voting with I voted for because like for all the reasons you just there's you can't vote for Donald Trump but when he got elected, the four heads of the security agencies—Comey uh, from the FBI, the CIA chief Brent, John Brennan, uh, the DIA uh, James Clapper, and Mike Rogers, the admiral from the NSA—they went to Trump before impeachment and they presented him with the Steele dossier, which that they knew was fake at the time, or they had had plenty of time to investigate anyway, like a half right. a year. And they said, "We're we're telling you this so that we're you know you're not." Don't don't worry about blackmail, we're gonna keep it close. This we're gonna make sure that the news agencies don't have a hook to publish this and then they leaked it like instantaneously right. within days. So just imagine what Democrats would think if the security hasn't done that to Obama before he had right. and the only reason people aren't flipping out about it is because it's Donald Trump. Like if right. if this were any other instance where you had the security heads sabotaging a president before they took office it would be kind of a big deal and then you add add to that this constant string of leak stories many of which turned out not to be true or defamatory like in the next couple of years they were you know there are Putting their toe into domestic politics in a way they never really have before. Right. And That's all. That's all I'm really saying in this and and that. So you love Trump? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. You want to marry yeah, Trump? Yeah. yeah. I just can't. I just can't stand. Turn. They're just pounding you over the head with this impeachment stuff, right. it's like five thousand times a day, and I I can't do it anymore. I don't know. How do you feel about it?
1: Well, no. My thing is that um, it's not there's this like lack of emotional distance from, from what's happening that I think actually prevents people from seeing how to effectively oppose Trump. Mm-hmm. And so all these people who are constantly talking about impeachment, ironically, I think, are in many ways enabling him and empowering him. Not intentionally, but I just think that they don't know how to respond to him in a kind of clever way or in a way that gets people who don't already care to care, yeah. mm-hmm. that's the thing. Like, and I do worry that um, you know there's so many avenues that you could go to to go after Trump and they're really abandoning those because of the impeachment. Um,
0: Yeah, There's also the question that this it's not really about anything none of the like neither this nor Russiagate it wasn't about making people's lives better it's just like this constant internet sign like you know investigation power struggle you know Washington you know power play thing and i don't i don't think that's the way you fix the problem of right. donald trump like he, he was elected and the only reason people voted for him is cuz they literally could not bring themselves to vote for someone else who represented one of the two major political right. parties and so i think that's but they're not looking at it that way they like they this is just his presidency is illegitimate we're going to we're going to terminate it and I think that's gonna fire. You're right. I think that's gonna fire up his base even more. But yeah, it'll um, fire
1: up his base. I don't think it'll. It registers with people who don't already care that much. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that. Uh, yeah, I mean, and and you have a just reading from your piece. You write. You open with, "I've lived through a few coups. They're insane, random, and terrifying. Like watching sports, except your political future depends on the score." Um, and I want. I'm curious about your coup days but
0: um well, i mean there's 91 and right and then the, um there was the, the, uh, there was a thing in russia called the xerox box affair where yeltsin's bodyguard tried to arrest yeltsin's campaign people and then yeltsin's campaign people had the bodyguard arrested so there was a uh, there was a few there was a couple of days there where it wasn't clear actually who was in charge of the government. So the, the Russians kind—they called that like a mini putsch, you know. There right. was there was a, a moment of uncertainty about who was actually running things.
1: Sounds like uh, a Three Stooges. Yeah, it was it was sketch.
0: it was it was, was, was kind of like a, an old school comedy, um, and you know. And then uh, there was a couple of little. There, there, and it was I was in Uzbekistan when Islam Karimov. Who was the now longstanding dictator there? He he arrested the opposition party while I, while I was there, which not not quite the same thing as like a ninety one situation, but um, but you know the the these things start when somebody basically refuses to recognize the authority of the executives, right? And I think you know you're kind you kind of sort of have a situation like that where the four intelligence agencies kind of broke from the president before right. they so that's right. all i'm really saying which is yeah.
1: why it was people's minds broke when, with your piece about whistleblowers because again they were like you were saying whistleblowers kind of by definition are vulnerable they lose a lot they lose their yeah. you know their their homes their their work their jobs sometimes their families um and people are like what what do you mean this this whistleblower is being threatened by trump which he of course he, is, yeah. they, whatever are, were, being, mm-hmm. but again, this is the first time where the intelligence community and the executive branch are not in lockstep. So people just, I don't think they 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 get that.
0: Right. Yeah. So this is a whistleblower, kind of but it, yeah. it's you know a whistleblower with the backing of the people who usually crush whistleblowers. Right, yes. So it's it's like a you know it's a confusing situation. That's why all this right. the part of the the part of that story that really struck me as false is all this. Oh my God! We have to like stand with the whistleblowers right. like stuff that's on TV all of a sudden, and it's the same people who, you know, didn't have a time of day for actual whistleblowers, or or, right. or on the wrong side of like the, right, the Assange yeah. thing, for instance, right? right? So, um, so that's that's you know, there's a difference between like. You know, like a power struggle between two big institutional forces, and like what a normal whistleblower situation is. You know, right,
1: right which is like everyone against. Yeah, the whistleblower, exactly. Yeah. All
0: everybody sort of piling on a single person. So.
1: And you write, my discomfort in the last few years, first with Russia Gate and now with Ukraine Gate, and impeachment stems from the belief that the people pushing hardest for Trump's early removal are more dangerous than Trump. Many Americans don't see this because they're not used to waking up in a country where you're not sure who the president will be by nightfall. They don't understand that this predicament is worse than having a bad president. Yeah, I think people don't think about that and they think it's like treasonous to say that.
0: Right. And I, you know, I get it. People and, and I understand why people can't stand Donald Trump and they think he's like the, the worst thing. I just think that having the, the subtext of everything leading up to 2016 is that the intelligence agencies have been gradually asserting more and more crazy powers, right? Whether right. it's surveillance or you know the rendition the the, the indefinite uh, detention all those things right and the last thing we want to do is have them decide that they're going to get involved with domestic politics and we've seen since the russia thing started that there you know there are these partnerships with facebook and google to you know to control like fake news right all, all that um you know they, they hauled them into the senate and asked them all to create a Plan for stopping the foment of discord and all these things. I just think are more dangerous, you know, long term. Right. But you know, I could be wrong. I just that's no. Just my I mean, take yeah. It, you well, know? you
1: and and you say um, I don't believe most Americans have thought through what a successful campaign to oust Donald Trump would look like. Most casual news consumers can only think of it in terms of Mike Pence becoming president. The real problem would be the precedent of a de facto intelligence community veto over elections using the lunatic spook world brand of politics that has dominated the last three years of anti-Trump agitation. CIA, FBI backed impeachment could also be a self-fulfilling prophecy. This is also a really good point. If Donald Trump thinks he's going to be jailed upon leaving office, he'll sooner or later figure out that his only real move is to start acting like the quote unquote dictator. MSNBC and CNN keep insisting he is. Why give up the White House and wait to be arrested when he still has theoretical authority to send special forces we' um, repelling, troops, yeah. repelling yeah. through the windows of every last Russia gate Ukraine gate leaker that would be the end game in a third world country and it's where we're headed unless someone calls off this craziness welcome to the permanent power structure, struggle welcome to the permanent power struggle sorry yeah
0: yeah like I have, I have a friend who we knew and I knew him in Russia and the first thing he said about all this business is yeah I mean if, if Trump actually were somebody like Putin then the next news story you'd be reading is like you know, the guys with masks, you know, kind of crashing through the windows of who all the right. people who had access to this information, and they'd, they'd be dragged out, and they'd be, you know there would there would be an actual attempt to scare the people in, away from doing this, and that that hasn't happened yet, um, but it could. I mean, you know, the, if, right. if he thinks that the, the, this is the this is the end game, in countries where presidents are afraid to leave office because they think they're going to get jailed, is they they always inevitably like exercise more power when they were worried about that so that's why it's always good to have the peaceful transfer of power whenever you can even you know so and what
1: does the cia and the fbi do that's so bad to play uh to play liberal um person Matt, matt taibbi
0: well i mean in this in the last couple of years i would argue that the thing that they did was that was really bad was they was they intentionally circulated the phony story about you know trump being a russian agent right. i mean again all for all the things that trump does did wrong that there that story turned not not to have a, a there there and right. i they i think they knew that pretty early and yet they were con- continually leaking that to the news and again people think of it they don't they don't think of it in terms of the presidency they think of it in terms of donald trump right. so screw him right yeah. but actually it's kind of you know it's not good for the country to be leaking word that that the president is a foreign agent, if he's actually not, you know, yeah. I don't see what the, so, so that's, what the, the, the thing that I worry about is, if this works, there's gonna be a precedent for how to do this, you just right. continually push stuff and you have allies in the media who are gonna help you do that, and you know.
1: But also in terms of just the like, recent history of the FBI and the CIA, I think people, they've become so, kind of like neocons, who used to oh, be seen yeah. as war criminals, they've become so rehabilitated, relatively speaking, just by Trump's existence. Um,
0: well, right, people don't think about, it. when we just had, a, we had a court case just last week where we found out that the FBI was doing tens of thousands of, of warrantless searches per month, you know, access- accessing the NSA's FISA database, you know, the CIA, you know, has its drone assassination program, you know, again, the secret prisons, all that stuff. I mean, this stuff is all terrible, right? right. Objectively, they're, you know, doing paramilitary operations in like, you know, in seven different countries or whatever it is. And, Stuff's all bad, I mean, right. yeah, so, but yeah, it, and, and I think the thing is, public opinion on that has radically changed since Trump came around, because if you remember before, heading into 2016, you know, there was a lot of anger towards, you know, this about the, over the surveillance thing, over, you know, so it's, it's, it's been interesting watching all this. Yeah. Let's talk to Chris Hedges, who has a lot of interesting things to, to say about, uh, about journalism and about his career, and it was great talk.
1: Also not a fan of the uh, intelligence community.
0: That's true, he is not. I always thought that your career really embodied something that Chomsky talked about in Manufacturing Consent, which is that the the pressure isn't really so much, nobody comes and red pencils your copy and tells you not to write this or that. It's more about the point of hire, right? If If you're the kind of person who doesn't, kind of write what they want you just you'll get a reputation for being a difficult person right. or emotional or one of these right. things and you just kind of won't make make your way up the you're, you're, well they'll
2: get, send you to like you know night business right that's what they did to ray bonner something like that yeah, yeah or yeah. obits or right yeah right something like
0: that so what happened what was your denouement with the new york times well because obviously you, you were writing front page stories you did uh, you were covering, you know, all the major events, you know, overseas in the 80s, 90s, you know, early 2000s. Um, obviously, you the, one of their most valuable correspondents, you win the Pulitzer Prize, but there was tension, right? So what, what happened? Well, there?
2: because people like me, uh, newspapers or news organizations need people with my characteristics, which is basically comes down to um, if you go there, we'll kill you and we go anyway. Right, which is doesn't really fit into a corp- the corporate mentality of the New York Times, in the newsroom, which is why good war correspondents never, ever, go back to the newsroom. They always get pushed out. Now, can you of think
0: them. of an example? I can't think of any, anybody. No, yeah, yeah,
2: because yeah. we we're not really built like that. Right. So on the so it's always an uncomfortable relationship um, on the part of the paper. On but on the other hand. Uh, You're kind of a necessary evil. They need to put up with you because they need somebody that's going to drive into Sarajevo uh, when it's being hit with 2,000 shells a day. I mean, and that's a personality type.
1: And it's not Brian Williams, right?
2: No. Even though he pretended
1: he'd been on the...
2: Ryan
1: Remember that story about him being yeah. in a hol- helicopter yeah. that wasn't
2: set? So- I want to apologize. I said I was traveling in an aircraft that was hit by RPG fire. I was instead in a following aircraft. Most of the DV correspondents who came in to Sarajevo when I was there, who came in for like a two-week thing, like Brian Williams to credentialize themselves, spent all of their time in the nuclear bunker below the <laughs> Sarajevo <in> and <laughs> shitting their pants. <laughs> yeah. Like That's in the titanium sphere, No, there basically. is one. Yeah. yeah, below, there was one. Yeah, and they were like, they wouldn't even sleep upstairs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I still couldn't believe he got caught and then re- re- rehabilitated. Yeah, but
2: these people aren't journalists. Come on, I mean they're just right, right, celebrities. Yeah. They're I mean journalists don't make ten million dollars a year right. or whatever they pay these people. Yeah,
0: um, I almost I, don't begrudge them that, but yeah.
2: You don't begrudge them the ten million? Well, yeah, I guess yeah, maybe I should. should. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's Faustian. I mean, right, yeah, I mean right. they've completely sold their soul right. and their integrity. Um, so, what
0: were you asking me? So, um, yeah, the, 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 you're the sort of oh, how out of time. So like was so, yeah. Iraq
2: and you know. Well, okay. I mean, oh, yeah. on a more serious note, everybody yeah. has uh, you know, you can't cover war for everybody. Everybody has everybody has a breaking point. Um I ended covering the war in Kosovo. Um I was a physical and emotional wreck. Um
1: How long were you there?
2: Well, I'd been 20 years overseas from war to war to war. I so and I just couldn't do it anymore, and uh, and then my closest friend, who I'd worked with for 10 years, Kurt Shork, gets killed in an ambush in Sierra Leone. He and I he was, by the way, the administrative assistant in the office of Michael Harrington's office who fired me. Wow, isn't that
0: like bizarre? What a bizarre! Isn't that like bizarre? Did you ever reflect on that with him? Yeah, 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 because
2: uh, by when so then like in his 40s, he decides to become a freelance reporter for Reuters in Northern Iraq. And, and, that, and by that time, I'm the Middle East Bureau Chief for the New York Times. And somebody said, oh, Kurt wants to see you. Uh, he was in Zahor. I don't know where he was somewhere. And I was going to see him the next day. And I said, yeah, tell him if he needs any papers filed. I'll be there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I just kind of broke down. And I had to, I had to stop. Um, I took a Neiman Fellowship at Harvard. Um, and I couldn't really do war anymore. And... Then comes the call to invade Iraq. Well, you know, I spent months of my life in Iraq, seven years in the Middle East. Um, I realized, for all the reasons we know now, that this was uh, insane and dangerous, and I spoke out against it, um, and uh, which reporters are not supposed to do. Although uh, John Burns was cheerleading the war, which, so, you know, it's... Balance. It's like the NYPD. They have lists of rules that they decide whether they want to enforce or not. Right. It's kind of the same. Mm-hmm. So n- nobody always said anything to Burns because he was, you know, parodying the appropriate line. And then I gave a commencement address at Rockford College where I was booed off the stage. The curfews, the orange clashes with angry crowds. Iraqi the military governor... I mean, at one point, a thousand people got up and started singing God Bless America to drive. Wow. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's on YouTube. And uh, they cut my mic. And then like at the end, these like couple guys from the graduating class get up to the podium and try and push me off. And so the right wing media got a hold of that. And the way they do it is they lynch you or you've written about this. Yeah, you know? yeah. So every hour it was like right. me saying something, right. for 30 seconds. That was not patriotic. And uh, Rush Limbaugh devoted like four days to me. And the Wall Street Journal wrote an editorial uh, attacking me as a Left left-wing wing pacifist, which I'm not. I'm not a pacifist. And, uh, and so the Times gave me a, a formal written reprimand, which under Guild rules, you give the employee the reprimand. And then if they violate it, i.e. if I continued speaking out against the war, uh, I'm fired. So I left before they fired me, yeah.
0: So was the reprimand about editorializing outside your lane? It was lane, about or impugning
2: the impartiality of the New York Times. Mm.
0: So I want to come back to that a little, a little bit because clearly the things are a little different at the Times now, right? I mean, they're, they, they encourage everybody to have a social media presence, to give their opinion about all sorts of things.
2: Yeah, but but it's a, not really. Right. They can give their opinion as long as it uh, is part of the dominant narrative, i.e., right. Uh, Trump is a Russian agent. Uh, you know, being at, you know, being at war in the Middle East is a good thing. Yeah, I mean, mm-hmm. you know, it's what uh, what was it? Kath, you know, Dorothy Parker said about Katherine Hepburn's emotional range as an actress, it goes from A to B. So that's kind <laughs> but, of it. It goes from A to B. You can have all the opinions you want as long as it goes from A to B. As long as but even the
1: people who have t- Twitter presences. I mean, that's their supposed to be their outlet, maybe, but they are supposed to be. I mean, we've talked about this. That I think, in some ways, it's much scarier. The, you know, scarier than the Jennifer Rubens at the Washington Post or like the Brett Stevens at the New York Times are the, you know, Sydney Ember at the Sydney Embers at the New York Times who claim to be objective, right? They they still do claim to not be driven by their opinions, but of course they are. They just hide them.
0: Well, there are certain kinds of. I mean, they're very specific opinions, though. They're like the well, approved they're, they're opinion. approved opinions. Yeah. yeah, sure.
1: We can. Right. You know. Like, yeah. Yeah. It's, I mean, I always talk about Bernie, but it's very clear. You can just trace it through the representation of Sanders, or lack thereof. Right. He's either invisible or had a heart attack, and that's it.
2: Well, what did they do a piece a few weeks ago that dredged up every reference they could make to Noam Chomsky and the Sandinistas or something? Oh, yeah, that was great. Mm-hmm. They that was she the Ember. Litera-
1: she, the Ember. was asked, she asked Sanders if he regretted, if he heard an anti-American chant when he was at a rally in, in um, Nicaragua, and if he had heard it, would he have stayed at the rally? That was her first question for Sanders.
2: Well, how about asking since I was there? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> how many people were raped, murdered? Yeah, by the contras, you know. Who, you know, I mean, this is just ridiculous. She right. both
1: sides did it. You know, it was, it was you know both sides. And you know who one of her sources was, who who she asked whose opinion she sought was Otto Reich. Oh,
0: that's good. Yeah. But that's York a classic York. worthy and unworthy victims thing that Chomsky talks about, yeah, right? Yeah, Chomsky nails that the, the whole yeah. co- contras what, were, yeah. were, were, you know, they were, they were yeah, yeah. yeah.
2: No, well, I, okay, let's steal Matt Taibbi without, so <laughs> Matt Taibbi writes, the great author Matt Taibbi writes. <laughs> no, you are a great author. So uh, you correctly point out that, you know, priests are being killed in Central America right. uh, by death squads who are funded by the, and backed by the United States, and then a priest is murdered in Poland at exact almost right, exactly the right. same time, right. and it's all oh, the great... Mar- that right, is yeah, the hand, perfect hand. illustration of yep. right. worthy and unworthy victims. Right. So we have that completely,
1: yeah. And then Ember goes back and interviews one of the people who was doing PR, literally, for the people murdering the priests. I mean, he worked for the Reagan administration. Oh, right, yeah. right. Like, killing pro pro-Sandinista stories and killing anti-Contra uh, stories. Which they revive Germans.
0: only, because they only care now because it's somehow tangentially connected to Sanders. Right. Something, but but know, they still care mean, in
1: the wrong way. Right, yeah. Like they're exactly. not, they still think the the Sandinistas are the bad
2: guys. Well, let me tell you about the New York times. There are no rules written on the side of the wall, but if you're an astute, i.e. you know, careerist, you very quickly figure out what they want and what they don't. And if you give them what they want, you will be rewarded, and you know the famous story is uh, when they had the 1968 uh, student takeover at Columbia University, and Abe Rosenthal got his butt up there as fast as he could to write about how they, uh, you know, uh, defiled or destroyed the books in the president's uh, library. You know, I mean stories like that. Well, you mm-hmm. you know that assured is rocketing the publisher who. who Sat on the board of the trustees of Columbia. I mean, so yeah, it, it, it's careerist. And um, so when I was hired by the Times, I most people get vetted at the institution for usually up to a decade before they become a foreign correspondent. Because I think because of the Arabic, I got hired. I was only in New York for seven months, and I'm overseas. So what they want is they want before they send you out, they want to know that you've been domesticated, right? Yeah. Right. Yeah, And if you, if, you know, that, that's the whole. And so those people who, I mean, you know, Roger Cohen, I mean, he's the perfect example. I mean, they know exactly what to say, what the appropriate opinion is. Uh, and they're reliable. Yeah, they're reliable, reliable to the power elites who run the paper and, and the power elites whom the hierarchy of the paper in alliance with. Yeah.
0: One thing that is, I want to segue to the work you've done since you since you left. the times like your recent book, uh, you know, America a Farewell Tour. Uh, I, I think it's really interesting. We talked before. You like when you were doing the reporting from Gaza. You talked about how um, when you're there, there's just so many stories. You just don't yeah. know how to do it. Like it, it's like wow. an, it's like it's so overflowing with stuff. If you're in the right part of the world, or basically almost anywhere in the world, you can look in any direction and find a front page yeah, worthy story. Right. right. But now, if you're here in America. You just go to any any small town in this country, and it's just you know wall to wall misery, horror, yeah. And somehow, it's just not appearing on the news, right? You do you, you, like essentially. I feel like you're, you're reporting now on poverty in this country is essentially the same thing you were doing yeah. overseas, yeah. except except it's here in America that's now, right? right? Yeah, I yeah, mean,
2: and and but it doesn't. You're right. I mean, that's the, the, the lives of the majority of Americans are not reflected in the commercial media at all, right? And if if you get glimpses of it, we make fun of them. Right.
0: That's it. They're being chased by cops in that show, yeah, right? Yeah. Or they're like on
2: Jerry Springer, and right. you know they've slept with their cousin's daughter or whatever it is. You know, I mean. Right. That's it. And yeah. so, uh, and you know, you've written about them too, and uh, uh, and and so it's just you know, it, 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 all, the, the vast majority of the American public who are really suffering are just cartoonish, cartoon figures. I mean, that's why I liked your book on Eric Garner so much. Uh, who A flawed individual as we right. all are. And yet by the end, you know, your heart just breaks for him, for his family, and for all the other Eric Garners and all the other people trapped in this system. So um, it's a very frightening time because those voices uh, are not being heard. Those experiences are not being imparted. Even the physical reality that they live in is, not disseminated through images, yeah.
0: Right. I mean, but, there are the, like, for instance, your story, I think her name was Christine Pagano, yeah, the yeah, one yeah. we, like, this, like, I thought that was such, such an interesting way to do that story, talk talk about the opiate crisis. You, you just followed her whole yeah. progression, right, from just beginning to take a few pills yeah. here and there. And that's to, how it usually starts. Right, and next thing you know, you're in Atlantic City being stabbed and raped yeah, at the same yeah, time. Yeah. And, yeah. But that's a... It, it's a that it was such an affecting story, and yet why don't why why isn't one of those stories on television basically every day, right? I mean, well,
2: because it's a downer, and because right. it's all about profit. It's all about uh, you know, it's commercial. It's it's the, look, I mean, now it was bad enough when you had a newspaper empires, Hearst and everything else, but now it's different. Now you have like huge corporations, Viacom or whatever. And, and news is just one revenue stream of perhaps hundreds of revenue streams. And that revenue stream competes. And if you can't compete, you're replaced, which is how you get Zucker on CNN. It, CNN is just ESPN for politicians. Right. That's it.
0: Yeah. Did you yeah. say that? No, I, no some, okay, somebody I said like know. Washington was Hollywood for ugly people, but it's, it's, it's the same, same No, that's concept, the New York right? Times. Is it?
1: <laughs> Can you set up the story because people who, who don't know it Oh, um, sure, I'm sorry. But, yeah, no, the, it's okay. Can you talk
0: about a little bit about Christine Pagano or, or, I mean, just that... Well, I write, so the book, America, the
2: Farewell Tour, it, 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 it's based in the understanding by the sociologist Emile Durkheim, right. his great book called On Suicide, where he, he goes out in France and asks what is it that drives individuals or groups of people to engage in willfully self-destructive right. behavior. And he... He says it's this rupture of social bonds. That's where we get the term "enemy," right. and that's, of course, what's happened. That's the root. The, the social bonds have been ruptured. Uh, people feel they don't have a place. People feel they don't have a future. Uh, people f- are forced to live without dignity, and work is about dignity. Um, yeah,
0: you talk about that in the Scranton chapter yeah. too, right? Like that—that that would. It's not just about paying a check. It's you got to. Right. Yeah, right. Yeah.
2: And yeah. and so at at that point people begin to engage in behavior that is, is suicidal. That's what the opioid crisis, that's what the addiction to gambling is about. Suicide, hate groups, Durkheim right. writes that people who seek the annihilation of others are always driven by feelings or desires for self-annihilation. And, um, and so she was uh, kind of lost. Her, her father or stepfather, I can't remember, Slept with one of her high school classmates. She felt ostracized. Then she starts taking pills. Next thing you know, she becomes a heroin addict and, uh, and uh, engages in prostitution and almost dies. And um, like numerous times. Yeah, numerous yeah. times. So um, yeah, that's, but I mean, the, go to Ohio. I don't know if you've been to Ohio, but I mean, yeah. or Southern West Virginia. We used to, I did a book with Joe Sacco called Days of Destruction, Days of Revolt, out of the poorest pockets of the United States. But we go to these old coal camps and it was like interviewing zombies. Everybody was on oxygen. Mm. I mean, people we interviewed, thirty-year-old, like two weeks later, they died. You know, wow. it was, but that's like, and that's is that's what happens when, you know. That's why uh, George Bernard Shaw says the greatest crime is poverty. And I've been all over the world. Poverty manifests itself in the same way. Mm-hmm. So uh, we make, you know. In our, what Malcolm S. called our internal colonies, poor people of color are thrust into poverty. They engage in self destructive behavior that everybody who, and now of course we're seeing it ripple out with the white working class who've come next. But it's all all the same, it's all the same disease, yeah.
0: Right, right. Um, Which is a
1: really unpopular take lately. It's become this taboo to kind of express any empathy towards the white working class among certain sectors, obviously, but you're, you know, I, there are a lot of people who will say, oh, you're catering to racism, um, which I think is a really dangerous narrative. Yeah, it is.
2: And I'm not excusing the behavior. First of all, well, no, my, I think- half of my family comes from the white working class in Maine. I mean, gun racks, the whole bit, um, in ga- they, you know, I would say they would, I mean, they, basically they didn't like anybody who wasn't Protestant, white, and from Mechanic Falls. I mean, they hated all the people from Boston, right. Jews, Catholics. It was a long list. I mean, I, I love them. I mean, they're my family. But I kind of dealt with them because I said, go ahead. You can talk about gay people like that at home, but not just not from." front sure. of them. That's all right. Um, but the suffering is real. I mean, you go up to these, and I remember these towns, in small towns in Maine from when I was a boy. They're gutted. The banks are closed right. up. It, there's one methamphetamine lab after another. It's It's really tragic. And we do ourselves a great disservice by not acknowledging that suffering. Now, why is the white working class so dangerous? Because, as the theorists of revolution, Crane Brinton, Jeffrey Davies, and others have pointed out, revolution is not caused by poverty. Revolution is caused by a significant section of the population who are thrust into dire circumstances and believe that they have no possibility for advancement that the expectations that they once had for themselves or their children are cut off yeah Yeah.
1: it's the yeah the gap between expectations and that's what
2: and so that's what we're seeing and the longer the white working class is demonized and the the real issues uh you know you know i was in anderson indiana for the book so a big gm center and uh it's it's you know, it's a wasteland. I mean, they, they didn't just abandon the plants. They tore them down. So there's gigantic weed choke lots where they used to have these gigantic plants, you know, just behind cyclone fencing. And the city's in a death spiral. And, of course, the opioid, everything is. And uh, they, all, it, they all voted for Sanders in the primary. They did. Right. And I was talking with the old UAW people. They said, OK, we know you're going to vote for Trump. But, but vote the Democratic slate for the, for, you know, the state Uh They didn't even do that. right? They weren't going to vote for Clinton. Right. I mean, you know, we talk about lies that Trump, yeah, Yeah, Trump lies like he breathes, but the lies that did the most damage came out of Clinton and Obama and the Democratic
1: Party. Yeah, and similarly, that's used as an anti-Sanders line, which is that he appeals to some of the same people that Trump does, which is what makes you literally definitionally electable. But again there's such contempt. There's this expectation or or this like demand that you just turn your backs on certain people. And again, this isn't about, you know, you don't you're not throwing anyone under the bus for the sake of anyone else, like when you acknowledge the causes of sure. um you know, when that I behavior. when I
2: finished that book on the Christian right and I went in there with the prejudice of, you know, the liberal class sure. where I kind of thought these people were all yahoo's and right. you know, I mean they I was at the creationist museum in Peterborough, Kentucky, where they had—I'm not making this up—a reconstruction of the Garden of Eden with T-Rex with a saddle because Adam and Eve used to ride T-Rex around. They're
1: on it, isn't there? No, they're not on it. They're they're actually
2: in the water and like naked, but Eve's positioned so you can't see her plastic breasts or anything. And uh, and the guide is saying, "Well, I'm sure you all wonder why T-Rex has such uh, big teeth. It's it's because they use T-Rex to open the coconuts." Oh yeah, it's yeah! Like that. Then we went into the Noah Ark exhibit, and how did they get dinosaurs on the ark? Well, no, only put babies dinosaurs on the ark. Oh, that's so Oh, is this cute. the Kentucky
0: Museum? Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, I love yeah, that. Yeah. That's Baby one of my dinosaurs. favorite places there in go. the country. So yeah. So,
2: but I came away. I actually wrote my first chapter on the book was called Despair because the stories that these people endured—the sexual assault, domestic violence, struggle with alcoholism, opioid, everything—you uh, know—bankruptcy, uh, evictions—were real. And it thrusts them into this world of magic Jesus. right? And by the end of the book, I said, if you want to break the back of this movement, these people have to be reintegrated into the economy and the society. Otherwise, forget it. And of course, now it's worse.
1: Yeah, even if you have no empathy, just if you care about Yeah, but you can't hear those stories enough. No, I know, yeah. but I'm, I mean, I, I have it. I think we all have it here at this table. Right. But even people who couldn't care less and who think that all these people have, like, a full set of teeth per family, you know, all these, right. like, stereotypes. Yeah, even if they care about the victims of racism and sexism, misogyny, and homophobia, all the things they claim to care about, then they need to we need to be addressing Yeah, but this. the
2: important thing to remember is that these people are being used. I mean, their, their despair is being manipulated by right. these mega pastors who are white male millionaires. Right. Um, you know, and people say, well, how can the evangelicals build an alliance with Trump? I say, no, no, you don't get it. Uh, these... Me- the only difference between these megapastors and Trump, at least from my reporting, is that the sexual proclivities of the megapastors are probably kinkier. Yeah. <laughs> um, but they're the same people. Right. Holy, Joel Olstein. I mean, these people are just scum. Right. But they are totally the same people. Right.
0: Right. It's it's actually the same legend of success. Right. Yeah. Completely. You follow yeah, exactly. me, and you'll, you'll yeah, get yeah, to yeah yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: He just talks about his sex life, and they don't.
0: Is there? I feel like when I read your your stuff now, that is there like a Studs Terkel element to what to the to the mission that you're going? I mean, essentially, I feel like you're filling a role of just. Relaying what the actual experiences of ordinary people are like—that's that's that's kind of a, a form yeah, of that, reporting that's been devalued almost completely. It's called journalism. Right. That's, no, I, that's, I understand. That's what that. we should be doing. That's what we should be doing. We like, should
2: be lifting up the voices who, without us, would not have a voice. That, for me, is the fundamental definition of journalism. It's what you do, and it's why I admire your work. And and we've forgotten that. It's right. not about sitting around interviewing powerful people. That that's you know puts you in the role of a courtier, not a journalist. Uh, so I kind of look at it as absolutely basic and fundamental to what it means to be a journalist. But unfortunately, that is, you know, uh, a vision that has just been completely marginalized within the media landscape.
0: I mean, the, the, the model now for being a reporter, it, like it, what you just said, this really speaks to something that really bothers me, is that it it, it, it so emphasizes... The closeness to high-level sources, yeah. right? Yeah. Like that—that who—that's who the big stars are in the business now, or the people who, who know eight people in the NSA and the White House or whatever it is, and and that's your daily news cycle—is a continuous right. series, right? And of they updates. lie to you, and you repeat the lies. I mean, right. you
2: know, explain to me how that is journalism,
0: right? And 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 what you do. On the one hand, it's simple, right? You just walk outside, basically, right? But you have to be able to have the ability to empathize and connect and understand with the forces that are behind everything. And that not that the job? I mean, yeah. it seems like... Yeah. But it's also fun. I mean, it, I'm sure you is. feel yeah. it, too.
2: I like reporting. Yeah, I find it... I, I enjoy it. And I learn a lot. And mm-hmm. my own expectations get shattered. It keeps you intellectually fresh. I mean, you're not you know, living off past capital. You're forced to go out. Uh, I mean, I'm writing a book now on prisons. I teach in prisons right. in New Jersey. But I'm driving around and interviewing the kids, interviewing the mothers in housing projects in Patterson and everywhere else. And, uh, yeah, you know, we were talking before the we went uh, started the show about Russell Banks, mm-hmm. guy, I think probably America's greatest novelist. But Russell, go, that's what keeps his stuff fresh. He's constantly going out. and. Uh, he, his last book was on the. He read an article in Miami about mm. pedo- people sex offenders Meh. living under a bridge, Meh. and he went down there with a notebook and and it's yeah. So right,
0: uh, and you you do have to find a way to look at the world from their point of view, yes. which is not always easy, yeah, right? Yeah, but, you, yeah. but 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 it seems like the, the this this prison experience of yours has really been uh, yeah. It, it's I, exhilarating I love those. For you. I love right? those guys. Yeah yeah, right. yeah, yeah. You teach right as well. I teach through Rutgers, so yeah. I teach in their BA program. Yeah. I know we've had you on for a while already just a couple of things the has the business of journalism changed at all in any fun in, like in the last I don't know 5 years or so like what what's what's your vision of how the the business works these days and what especially the New York Times like it seems like they've even since you were there, they've they've changed their stodgy old ways a little bit. Uh, if you had any insights into that. They've, they've had a lot of really interesting controversies in the last couple of years, uh, including the the release of that uh, that town hall with Dean Becke and everything.
2: Well, the Times is a diminished organization. I mean, it's always an elitist publication, of course. I think for me the most disturbing thing is kind of what Gravitas had had is gone. Mm. The book review is awful. The we weekend review, the op-ed page. I mean, where do they find these people, Brett <laughs> oh Stevens? First of all, they can't even write. Uh, I mean, much less think. Um, yeah, Fred Stevens. it's appalling. I love and uh, and then they and then they kind of uh, yeah. There's the tone, you know, of is different. Um, it it's kind of times light, I think. Um, it. Uh, and because it's lost that gravitas, um, it you know it spent two years slogging the whole RussiaGate stuff, um, which uh, I don't want to sit here and keep quoting you. You pointed out, I think is, and I think you're right, is probably more devastating than uh, selling us the <laughs> weapons of mass destruction no. in Iraq. Um, so uh, yeah, they're. They're kind of morphing into MSNBC into print, and I hate yeah. MSNBC.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. My, one of my favorite genres of New York Times coverage is the how do the Israelis feel about this violence that they're inflicting yeah, on well, Palestinians? That's nothing new.
2: That is so
0: old. Do you to, a, yeah. Actually, Chris has a, some unique insights there because you used to, you I, to talk about that.
2: Well, the way it works so, you know, let's say I was in Gaza when Israel carried out airstrikes against various chabalia, various refugee camps. And so out of Tel Aviv they go, a surgical airstrike right. against a bombing. Well, you know, th- this is like was great for me because I was there and I counted the bodies mm-hmm. and I said, no, no, the whole street was destroyed. I mean, it was within the narrow confines of American journalism I could, s- I could expose the Israeli's lie, the lie. So, but what they do is, when you're writing about a particular assault and this did not happen in other conflicts I covered for the New York Times, like Bosnia. Every other paragraph is the, the Israeli Defense Force spokesperson. Right. Out of it. Yeah. So Ahmed says his entire family was killed by bomb. Well, in Tel Aviv, Colonel, what whoever, says that's just completely untrue. Ahmed's <laughs> right. family is perfectly fine or whatever, you know. I mean, I know. Right. And so it, it's this kind of back and forth kaleidoscope weird kind of journalism and the end of it you can believe whatever you want to believe but it, it essentially mutes or uh uh dilutes so uh, effectively the truth now if i did talked about a massacre in bosnia right you know i was kind of required to try and call belgrade or or somewhere you know poly or something to get a no you know we didn't do it or whatever right. but that was it but that's right. not you watch that's how they'll that's how the New York Times will effectively disarm stories about atrocities against Palestinians, yeah.
1: And then yeah. Well, can I ask one more question? Yeah. Um so we talked about how Sanders brought up, you know, Jeff Bezos not liking him, and maybe that's why he doesn't get a lot. Of, you know, he goes after Jeff Bezos, maybe that's why right. he doesn't get a lot. Of
2: well, the Times is pretty awful to him, too.
1: Yes, so. totally. But when he said that statement about the Washington Post, all these people were scandalized and said it was a conspiracy theory. And, and we actually we played audio um, of a woman, a reporter, being like, when you go after the standard that is the Washington Post and even um, – Marty Baron himself says it's a conspiracy theory as if that's weird. He's like the first person who would say it's a conspiracy theory. But um
0: The Marty Baron. Yeah, the
1: Marty Baron, like the person who's has a t- conflict of interest with saying it's a uh, not a conspiracy theory, but I think a lot of people don't understand how this kind of um narrative control works I mean I don't know is it is it censorship is it soft censorship the way that people are are kind of either self no, it's
2: not it's not censorship so what it what's goes the term? back to the point I made before that you, you, you know right. what the paper wants and and you know when I worked at the Times you had I think 1,200 people who worked there you know 1,150 knew damn well what was good for their career look right. everybody who covers the middle I'm very outspoken against Israel but everybody who covers the Middle East, everyone, they don't argue with any of my opinions. They just don't say in public. Right. Sure. Because it's not good for the career. Right. And, and institutions like the Times or the Post hire primarily careerists. Right. That's how you get there. And that is how you advance. And so, uh, you know, they can have this kind of faux uh, notion of impartiality and objectivity right. and the truth and, you know, all this stuff you get fed. Um, but that's not how it works.
1: Well, that was great. I mean, you know what they say about the second time around with Chris Hedges? It's even better than the first. Is
0: that what they say about the second time around with Chris Hedges? Right? All right. Excellent. Yeah. So that was
1: Chris. Um, CH, Chris Hedges. The Chris Hedges. The Chris Hedges. And um, THC.
0: THC? The Hedges Chris?
1: TCH. Right okay yeah i was just making sure you're on your toes that
0: was great that was chris hedges and uh, thanks for tuning in
1: yeah thanks for watching listening to useful idiots and we will see you next week don't forget to rate and review us on itunes so because we can screw pods of america those yeah. people suck.